Welcome, friends. You are listening to the podcast for First Christian Church in Fort Myers, Florida. To learn more, join us online at fccfm.org. It is a blessing to be able to share God's Word with you today. Thanks for joining us. It is good to be back from my summer study break. Uh, Every July, I take a break from sermon writing and preaching to plan out my next year of sermons. And we have so many great preachers here at FCC, it just makes it easy for me to take the time away. Well, this week, we're kicking off our August sermon series, and it is a series on leadership. And what we've decided to do since we are in this leadership transition here at FCC is take a look at some biblical leaders, leaders from the Bible, leaders who handed things off to the next generation of leaders, Moses to Joshua, David to Solomon, Elijah to Elisha, Paul to Timothy. And what we want to do in this series, we want to discover some crucial leadership lessons. We want to call them leader shifts. As we are in this leader shift at FCC, from Gary being the lead pastor here for the past several decades to me taking the lead in the future, we want to emphasize some shifts in the way all of us should think about leadership. And by we, I mean all of us, whether you're a worker or a manager, business owners, community leaders, government leaders, church leaders, parents, dads and moms, what we're going to discover in this series would very much apply to you as the leaders of your families. And today we're going to start with the shift in Moses' leadership style that we see in Exodus chapter 18. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Exodus chapter 18. We're going to spend the majority of our time there today. And here's how I would summarize the shift we see in Moses in Exodus 18. Effective leadership involves a shift from doing the work of leading to developing others to lead. That's our big idea for today. Effective leadership involves a shift from doing the work of leading to developing others to lead. And this is something Pastor Gary has done so very well for me here at FCC. He has shifted his leadership style from doing all the work of a lead pastor to developing and deploying me to do the work of lead pastor. And he's done it well. So let me tell you a little ministry secret, a a, a ministry industry reality, a, a little shop talk, so to speak, when it comes to church. If you are in ministry as a vocation, as a career, you never want to be the guy who follows the guy. You never want to be that guy. You want to be the guy who follows the guy who follows the guy. Because here's what normally happens when a guy follows the guy who's been around a long time and done a lot of great things. Doesn't often go so well for the guy following the guy. And he preaches differently. He leads differently. He manages differently. He talks differently. It's just different. And we've had it this one way for lots of years and and, and we like it that way. It's nothing personal. It's just different. And what normally happens 
is the one guy is in place for a lot of years and the next guy comes in for a couple of years and he's the bridge guy. And that's just a really common thing we see in the church world. And I knew that. And I came here anyway. (laughs) And there were a number of reasons that we made that decision. I'll share a couple of them with you. Like this one, location, location, location. (laughs) I was praying, Janice and I were praying for God to connect us to a great church in a great community in a warm weather environment. (laughs) Preferably near seashell sandy beaches and swaying palm trees. Fringe benefits, right? Actually, the reality is it was evident for many reasons that God was moving me away from where we were. We knew it was time for a new season. And I don't just mean gray skies to blue skies. God clearly opened this door at this time. So this was the place we wanted to be. And the second reason that we said yes is because Gary was the guy that I would get to follow actually reached out to several Christian leaders I respect across the country, and I, I said, I'm praying about moving to Fort Myers, and, uh, but I know you never wanna be the guy who follows the guy. And almost to a person, everyone that I talked to said, Gary is the guy to follow. If Gary, if anyone can transition well and hand it off with humility and be an encourager and supporter, Gary is that guy. Most guys can't do it, but Gary can. And here's what I've discovered those Christian leaders across the country I visited with about this church and this opportunity were right. Gary has been nothing but encouraging, supportive, grace-filled, and kind to me, and I'm so thankful for it. He has shifted well from doing the stuff of leadership to developing others to lead. And so I say he's kind of like Moses in Exodus 18, old but shifting well. (laughs) Listen, if he can call me short, then I can call him old. Actually, he has never, ever, 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 ever called me short. And so I'm thankful for that. This is kind of funny. Um, When I moved here, our student minister, Justin Fincannon, used to sarcastically call Gary dad around the office. Uh, But when I got here, Justin shifted to calling me dad and calling Gary grandpa. So I think we're all shifting well. (laughs) Effective leadership involves a shift from doing the work of leadership to developing others to lead. All right, let's shift our discussion to Exodus 18. And let me just give you some context. Moses had been exhaustively leading the Hebrew people. In fact, he was emancipating more than, some scholars believe, more than a million Hebrews from Egyptian slavery. And if you don't know the story already, Moses was the infant child of a Hebrew slave who was adopted. Moses was adopted by an Egyptian princess. He was raised as Egyptian royalty, but he ultimately fled Egypt for killing an Egyptian. The Egyptian he killed was beating a Hebrew slave. And so Moses fled from Egypt and became a shepherd in the land of Midian and he met a man named Jethro and he married Jethro's daughter named Zipporah and they had children together and they lived happily ever after. Actually, they didn't. 
God later revealed himself to Moses in a burning bush and commissioned Moses to go back to Egypt and deliver the Hebrews from bondage. And so Moses went back to Egypt. He confronted the Pharaoh with the request to take his people into the wilderness to worship God, ultimately asking the Pharaoh to set his people free. But the king of Egypt declined the request defied Moses, defied God, and so God unleashed 10 catastrophic plagues that devastated Egypt's agrarian economy, undermined their cult religion, and wrecked, wreaked havoc on the health of the Egyptian population. Begrudgingly, the Pharaoh released the Hebrew slaves who, along with their whole households, escaped through the miraculous parting of the Red Sea, the idea being that God would established them as their own nation, the nation of Israel. And so here's where we are in Exodus chapter 18. There's still a whole lot more to Moses' story. But for now, Moses is almost single-handedly doing all the work of leadership among this massive Hebrew population. And to say the least, it is not going well. There are all kinds of problems developing. And so as we examine Exodus 18, let's discover four of the problems with doing everything. Number one, when you are a leader who does everything, there is no time to develop a healthy family. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write down next to number one, no time for a healthy family life. Exodus chapter 18, verses one through six. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife, what? After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One was named Gershom, for Moses said, I've become a foreigner in a foreign land. The other was named Eliezer, for he said, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the wilderness where he was encamped near the mountain of God. Now Jethro had sent word ahead to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. Now, Bible scholars aren't quite sure what to do with this passage of scripture because the book of Exodus doesn't tell us when or why Moses sent his family away. Was it before the Exodus? Was it after? Was it to protect them or to free Moses to lead? Now, all we know is that Moses sent them away to his father-in-law and then his father-in-law brought them back. And by the way, and we're gonna see this as we proceed today, that is a really good father-in-law right there. No, Moses, she's your wife. They're your sons. Yes, you're important, but you are not so important that you cannot be the husband and the father God wants you to be. Yes, God wants you to lead his people, but he also wants you to lead your family too. And so this is for all the parents. If you are so busy leading outside of the home that you don't have anything left for your family, then something needs to change. You can't do all this stuff. You need to hand something off. 
And when you are trying to do all this stuff, your personal life will suffer. Now, that doesn't mean you neglect your responsibilities at work, but it means you need to focus your energy in developing others to do this stuff so that you have something left for your family. And so problem number one, no time for a healthy family. Problem number two, when you're a leader who does anything and everything, you create unhealthy codependencies. Now, sometimes... Sometimes we, we get this idea in our head that if we do everything, then we will become so valuable, then, then people will want to follow us, or, or people will want to work for us, or, or, or then the organization will need us, or then we'll, we'll have more opportunities for advancement, then, then we, we might get a raise, then we might feel better about ourselves, we might be able to scale up our, our organization, then well, insert whatever conscious or subconscious motivations you might have. But here's what actually happens when you do everything yourself instead of developing others. You create unhealthy codependencies. In fact, I see this all the time with parents who, what's the word we like to use? Helicopter? Their children. From infancy to adulthood. They do everything for their children for lots of reasons, I suppose, but not the least of which is they want their children to need them. When those children actually need to learn to do some things on their own. When those children actually need to develop some level of independence. When those children actually need to make some of their own mistakes, when those children actually need to learn some of their own lessons, when those children actually need to fight some of their own battles. There the hero parent is to save the day, which is good for the parent's ego. Not always good for the child though. What is that? That's unhealthy codependency. And we see that in Exodus 18, verses 13 through 16 says, the next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people and they stood around him from morning until evening. And when his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what, what is this that you're doing for these people? Why do you sit alone as judge while all these people stand around you from morning until evening? And Moses answered him, well, because the people come to me. They need me to know God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me and I decide between the parties. It's up to me to inform people of God's decrees and instructions. Moses is using a lot of me, myself, and I's to describe his role. It says he sits in his seat as judge for all the people. It says people stand around him, just listening to him, waiting to hear his words of wisdom from morning until evening. Moses even says, they need me to know God's will. And that's the system that Moses had built. One that was totally dependent upon him. One where all the people were completely dependent upon him. They needed him. But actually, they didn't need him. And we're going to see in a few verses that there were plenty of other capable people who could lead. And so one has to wonder if Moses actually liked the people's dependency upon him. 
was Moses co-dependent? If you're a, a leader, manager, supervisor, business owner, church leader, Sunday school class teacher, parent, whatever it might be, if you are so needed that everything falls apart without you, then you need a leader shift in your thinking from doing to developing. Unhealthy dependencies and codependencies upon leaders leads to more problems, not less. That's problem number two. Problem number three. When you're a leader who does everything, eventually the work will just get too heavy. It becomes too much. And the consequence of a too heavy workload for too long is twofold. You burn out and then you blow up. Exodus chapter 18, verses 17 through 22. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and, and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes before him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show him the way they're to live and how they're to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring the very difficult cases to you. The simple cases they can decide for themselves. This will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. For all you leaders, actually this is not just for leaders, for all, all you people, for all of us, there's only so much that we can do. There's only so much that you can do. Even the, the healthiest, most, most efficient, most driven of you, there's only so much that you can do. You have a capacity. You only have so much energy, no matter how effective, no matter how efficient you are. And maybe you're super efficient. Let's say you can operate at 90% of your capacity. And I think that'd be really incredible if you could operate at that level. But, but maybe you're super efficient. Well, that 90% has to be divided among your priorities, and how much of that 90% are you gonna give to your work? How much of that 90% are you gonna give to your family? How much of that 90% are you gonna give to your church? I mean, if you operate at 90% capacity, you give 75% of that to your work, how much is left over for your faith, for your family, for the friends that God has put around you? And the answer is not much. You can only do so much. You have to ration your energy. I, I, I'm always puzzled when people said, well, I gave it 110%. And I just think, you don't understand how math works. It's not even possible. But I gave it my all. Listen, if you are giving it your all, one thing, whatever it is, it doesn't deserve your all. If you're giving one thing your all, then you're cutting out other important stuff. And if you give one thing your all, you're going to burn out and blow up. And that is essentially number four problem we see in Exodus 18, and that is emotional unhealth. 
when you're a leader who does anything and everything, if you don't develop and deploy other leaders, you will develop an unhealthy heart and mind. Exodus 18, 23 calls it strain. Here's how Jethro concluded his advice to Moses. He said, if you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all of these people will go home satisfied. Years ago, I had a minister on staff at a church I served who, who I think sometimes he wanted it to be evident when he was away that, that, well, that he was away. Wonderful person, did excellent work, but every time he was away from the church, things broke down. And it's almost like he wanted there to be problems when he was gone so that everyone would see how essential he was for things to go smoothly. And again, he did impressive work. But personally, I'm more impressed by the leader who can be away or off stage or out of the picture and things still go smoothly. So why is that? Well, because that's how the healthiest of leaders operate. The healthy leader who develops other leaders isn't as strained when he or she is there and the organization isn't as strained when he or she is not. But this rarely happens with leaders who do everything. Rarely happens with unhealthy leaders. We don't wanna be unhealthy leaders. We don't wanna be leaders who do everything. And I'm just gonna say, been there, done that. You don't wanna do that. But there's a solution. And the solution is found in Exodus 18. And here's the solution to the problem of doing everything. I'll give you two quick hits. A leader shift from a single leader to shared leadership. And a leader shift from doing everything to developing others. If leaders who do anything and everything have their hand in everything, who like to be involved in everything, if, if that leader can make those shifts, it's better for them, for their families, for their relationships, for their organizations, and for their health. But the question is, how do we do it? How do we make that shift? At work, at church, I already mentioned how Pastor Gary has, has been very good at this. He's done this well by investing himself in me here at FCC, empowering me to lead. But how can we, as a church, um, at work, in, in, in the community, at home, how can we make this shift? There are four things. Here's how to shift from doing to developing. Number one, identify future leaders. That's the first takeaway Jethro offers Moses to identify, look for, seek out, search for, and select future leaders. In Exodus 18, 21, Jethro says, but select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Every leader should always be looking for future leaders. Jethro tells Moses they should be capable leaders who fear God, who have integrity, who hate dishonest gain, and those are certainly good traits to look for. So what do we look for when we're looking for a, for a future leader? Well, if you're a parent, I, th I think it's obvious who you're looking for. I think it's obvious who you're looking out for. The future leaders you should be developing are your children. And with your children, you get to be a part, and it's a beautiful thing of not only helping to form their ability to lead, but their character as well. 
if you're in leadership here at church, let, let's say you're a, a teacher in the kids' ministry class, you should be thinking in terms of not just teaching the kids, but identifying and teaching other leaders to be able to do what you do. Maybe you lead one of our adult small groups. You should be thinking in terms of not just leading your group, but also identifying and developing other leaders to lead your group. Maybe you serve on our safety team. You, you should be thinking in terms of not just serving on the team, but helping identify other potential leaders to serve on the team. And then you invite them to join you. I've shared this with our staff, just this easy way to have this conversation, this recruiting conversation is to memorize the following four letters. I see in you. If you can memorize those letters, you can have this conversation. When you see someone you might be able to recruit, you say, I see in you the ability to lead here. So number one, identify future leaders. Number two, develop their gifts and talents. It's not enough to just identify future leaders and say, I see in you the ability to be a leader in this area, but you also have to teach them how to lead. You have to show them how to lead. And that's the second takeaway Jethro offers Moses in Exodus 18, 20. Jethro says, teach them his decrees and instructions. Show them the way they are to live and how they're to behave. Years ago, I was at a leadership conference. I discovered the following method. It's a great method, simple method, and it works for developing future leaders, and it goes like this. As you're working together, it's really simple. I do. I do, you watch. I do, you watch, we talk. You do, I watch, we talk. You do, I watch, and then you hand it off, you do. Children's ministry teachers, this is how you develop new teachers. Small group leaders, this is how you develop new small group leaders. Church board members, this is how you develop new church board members. Community leaders, business leaders, this is how you develop future leaders. Parents, oh parents, this is how you develop your children. And I just want you to know how this method, notice how I do, I do, you watch, I do, you watch, we talk, you do, I watch, we talk, you do, I watch, you do. Notice how this method takes us to Jethro's third takeaway from Moses, and that is to delegate responsibilities accordingly. In Exodus chapter 18, verses 21 and 22, Jethro says, appoint them as officials over hundreds, thousands, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for people at all times. Have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can handle for themselves. And I just want you to notice that Moses wasn't instructed to give the new leaders every responsibility, but he was instructed to give them some responsibility. Moses still had to lead the process, but whatever others could do, Moses should delegate so that he could focus on what only he could do. Now here's an incredibly important leadership principle. I think it's so very true, and I think it's what you see here in verse 22. Here's the principle. Only do what only you can do 
and delegate everything else. Only do what only you can do and delegate everything else. So we're gonna delegate responsibilities accordingly, according to the gifts and the talent and the character of these future leaders. And then number four, deploy. Deploy them into the field appropriately. You're gonna delegate responsibilities and deploy them to execute those responsibilities. And then here's what happens. Based on their giftedness and their abilities and their character, they're going to grow. Some are gonna grow more than others. And what happened with Moses was this. A few world-class leaders rose to the top. And one particular leader who rose to the top was Joshua. Because Moses had done the work of identifying, developing, delegating, and deploying future leaders, men like Joshua emerged and the next generation was secured. And so when it was time for Moses to hand over the mantle of leadership, the leadership pipeline was primed and the nation of Israel was in good hands with Joshua. And if we skip to the end of Moses' leadership life cycle, we see the shift. We see the shift from Moses to Joshua in Deuteronomy 34, verses five through nine. It says this, and Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor, but to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom. Why? Because Moses had laid his hands on him. And so the Israelites listened and did what the Lord had command, commanded Moses. So we see the leader shift from Moses to Joshua. And why was Joshua ready to take over? Verse nine says, because Moses laid his hands upon him. Now there's a lot of theology there. Don't have time to unpack, but very practically we just take note of this. Joshua was a good leader because Moses learned to identify, develop, delegate, and deploy new leaders because Moses had taken a hands-on approach to developing Joshua. Parents, you're not gonna raise your children to be future leaders unless you're willing to take a hands-on approach to leading them. You have to be fully invested. Business leaders, community leaders, you have to be willing to take a hands-on approach to developing your leadership pipelines. Kids, ministry leaders, we have a lot of kids, ministry leaders in the room. We're not gonna get more volunteer leaders by making an announcement from stage that we need more leaders. Instead, what we need you to do is to take a hands-on approach to identifying and developing new leaders. So here's our takeaway for today. Whatever leadership assignment God has given you, whatever it is, shift your thinking from doing the work of leadership to developing others to lead. And this will be the best way for you to contribute to the health and growth, not only of your own life, but to your workplace, to your neighborhood, to your community, to your home, and to our church. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your grace that you have forgiven our sins and saved us for heaven through Jesus. You have called us to serve and empowered us to lead to your Holy Spirit. 
Help us to lead and serve well, as well as develop future leaders to carry on the work of Jesus into future generations. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If we can pray for you or encourage you in any capacity, please let us know at FCCFM.org.